Escape from Plan A. I watched your movie today. Boy, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, and I, I was nervous through the whole thing. And I've never seen a movie that looks like. Uh, explain what uh, what the basic idea between not just the plot, but also how it was shot. Well, it's a very classical a thriller about a man uh, played by me searching for his lost daughter, and he has to go into her computer to look for clues as to where she might be. The unconventional part is that it takes place entirely on screens, um, phones, uh, tablets, and uh, laptops. I've never seen a movie where they use the real, like it always drives me nuts when I see like the fake texting coming right. in, it's always graphically yeah. or whatever, but you guys used all the real thing. Hi, and welcome to the Escape from Plan A podcast. This is a Labor Day episode. I'm here with Mark. How's everyone doing? And Sam. Nice to talk to everyone here again. This episode will be a little looser, probably looser than whatever we've done before. We'll just like jump from topic to topic. So how's everyone's long weekend been? It's been good. Relaxing. Already busy with the first week of semester. <laughs> oh, yeah. School started for you yep. students, huh? I'm right now in my apartment. I'm, I'm a winner. So I, I, you know, I stayed home all long weekend here drinking my dr- hardcore drink of white wine and I had to turn the air conditioner off because my studio is so small. If I keep it on, it's going to just be too loud for this podcast. So at the end of at the end of this podcast, I'll probably be all sweaty. So, so okay, first thing to talk about. Uh, so, you, Sam, you've seen Searching, right? Yeah, uh, what do you think? Uh, I've seen it. Mark, I don't think you've seen it, right? Oh, you got to watch it. I, yeah. I do want to see gotta it. You got to watch it. Yeah, Sam, what do you think? I think it's well done. Um, you know, it's filming style. It's where... It's only seen from the point of view of, like, your laptop, your cell phone camera, or the uh, security footage camera. And, you know, it's not the first film that's done that, but it's arguably the one that has done it uh, in the best way possible. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember, remember those, like, Google ads from, I think they were, like, from eight years ago, where the entire ad would just be somebody putting in searches into the Google search bar? And there would be a whole narrative behind it. I, I think the first one was about this guy who, like, meets a woman and they, like, move to Paris. And it's about them falling in love. And you can tell the development of their relationship because he's, like, uh, you know, like, how to say hello in French and, and whatever. And it ends with him, like, trying to learn how to build a baby crib. And I remember specifically an Asian-American one. It was about, like, this Asian-American boy who's, I think it's, it was the mom who's like trying to raise her son and they were, I think they were like refugees from Vietnam or something. And she's like working hard to like get him the best education possible. And it culminates with him like graduating like valedictorian and she like her final search is like, like, a vac- like taking a vacation finally uh, in her life. So like the power of just the computer screen and just telling a story is, is, has been around for a while. But yeah, Sam, I agree. Like I saw the movie, I thought it was incredibly well done. And just just by like seeing what people are putting into searches or into text messages, it just conveys a lot of drama. Yeah, it does. I I mean, I appreciate it for several reasons. Like, if I'm being fully honest, I'm not really into American rom com, so I didn't go there with like go to go watch Crazy Rich Asian with expectation. I would like enjoy <laughs> it so much. I, I admit it. I I I bought a ticket to it just to support Asian American media representation. I'll be fully honest about that. Uh, no regrets. All good. Um, but I can say that I can, I watched searching not just because it was, 
you know, to support Asian American media representation, but also because I think it would be a good movie that I would enjoy. And I did. Um, I think anyone who's into like thriller movie or, you know, the best part about it, it's relatable. Like it's not, I don't think it's Asian specific necessarily. It's, it, it hits home for any parents who are worried that their kids might gone missing or have experienced that, right? That can affect any family. So I, I oh, think, yeah, sure. I think that's a powerful part. And to see an entire, a uh, full Asian American family being portrayed in a movie that made it into a a feature movie. I think I think that's really powerful. Um, and I actually saw uh, one of John Cho's tweet about it, and he said that's one of the reasons he was proud yes. of making this movie is showing this full Asian American family. Yes, I love that tweet. Although John Cho should be careful. You know, he's already had that. You know, hypermasculations. Uh, virtual town hall against him like several years ago so so johnny you might be on the block you know you know don't don't get too asian some people might get upset you know but mark you haven't seen it right i haven't seen it yet but i am actually Uh, um really looking forward to seeing it there are like certain things i want to talk about but i feel like it would spoil it for you so no no uh, let's not this does seem like a movie that could be spoiled unlike like cra it's it's a very well done thriller uh i tweeted that I, i got so many chills watching it Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, and so I, was, I was like, and I was thankfully wearing jeans, so I didn't freeze to death. But it has many, <laughs> it has many moments like that. And generally, like I'm, I'm a very hard person to, I wouldn't say it's a scary movie, but I'm a very hard person to scare at the movies. Like I saw, oh, what was, what was that movie that with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt earlier this year? I'm gonna say that like, uh, it means a lot from you <laughs> that you liked it because I think you're a pretty harsh critic. You're a tough, uh, you you're know a tough what? Critic. I I so, generally try to be. Uh, yeah, that's a comp- <laughs> that's a comp- that's a compliment. That's a compliment. A you're quiet not- place. The yes. movie was a quiet place. Yeah, but no, that's yes. a compliment though, because you're not easily amused. That's good. Yeah. Uh, just a <clears> sign. <throat> what's up with John Krasinski? Like, I want to like him because he he's an alum of my a college, but at first he like stars in like Thirteen Hours. Now he's in this like Jack Ryan shit. He just seems like this. This like tool of, of like CIA propaganda now. It's I don't know uh, why they're a, trying to make him into an action star. He's not an well, action star. Well, like I, I think because he has to escape the the gym paradox, right, or the gym trap. He can't be gym forever, so he's like trying to go the exact opposite of it. Like what what's like the old old type? I don't know, like the new John Wayne, or I don't know what some bullshit like that. I mean, I guess he wants to sort of muscle into the Chris Pratt territory funny man turned into a, like an action star but yeah, chris pratt see chris i wouldn't mind better if he, looking so it's just like yeah, i wouldn't mind if he was just an action star but it, why does he have to be like so pro-militaristic type of action star i have seen recently there are like four uh government and like uh related action tv shows and there have been like a bunch of movies uh and i think there it's a concerted push politically yeah <laughs> so i mean it, it's it kind of supports teens uh like cia movie pass theory yeah 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 but i mean it's like there's an fbi show there's quantico there's like valor the brave there's like tons of uh uh, tv shows just about soldiers and the cia and fbi and fighting terrorists i'm like there weren't this many after 9-11 for christ's sake it's really (laughs) weird timing um, so what else can we talk o- say about searching without spoiling it for Mark? We're trying to sell the movie. 
for you to watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do want to see it anyway. So you don't have to sell it. You don't have to sell it. If Oxford approves it, it must be good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> It's got the Oxford、um, stamp of approval. Maybe we can just like talk tangentially about it. Was so the director? I think he might have also written the movie. the The director of the movie, I forget his name, but he's actually an Indian American、mm-hmm. uh, okay. guy, which is you know somewhat curious because like John Cho's real big break was you know Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, and that was、mm-hmm. you know he starred in that with、uh, Cal Penn, you know who's obviously、mm-hmm. also Indian American. So you know like like John Cho, he's he's had a good rapport with with Indian American actors and and directors. It seems. Funny thing about a director, I remember seeing a, a small clip of、uh, this interview that between the directors and actors, and、uh, I think I think there were other filmmakers in collaboration was saying that actually initially the director said when when offered a chance to make it a feature movie by a studio, and I think he said no at first, and they're like, "Are you serious? You're a first time filmmaker. No one give a first time filmmaker, you know, a feature movie." Just like that,、uh, he's crazy. We'll we'll get back to you soon.、Uh, so I thought it was interesting. They actually initially rejected the offer, but eventually took it and made a movie to what it is now. So what did you want to do instead? I didn't watch a full interview. I was like, it's late. I gotta go sleep. But I thought it was funny. Oh, yeah.、Wow. Most people people would not reject the opportunity, you know, to have a feature movie made by a big production.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so、uh, the way I saw searching is, you know, with Movie Pass, you have to go the day of、mm-hmm. to do it. But I really, you know, don't want to like sp- take, you know, half an hour to an hour out of my morning to go to the theater and get the ticket because I don't want to do it like right before I see the movie. Because a lot of times, especially if the seating is、uh, assigned,、mm, only the crappy、yeah. seats、uh, remain. So、uh, a trick I found is I go there like right after midnight. Like if I'm like out already, I'll just f- find some excuse to just like stay out until that time around that area. Then right after midnight, I go there, and you know technically it's the next day. Then I just get the ticket then. Oh, and then I just go home, and then I don't have to. Okay. Yeah, and then I don't have to like go to the the theater until actually start of the movie time because I already got my ticket. Oh, nice. That's a hack. Movie movie pass hack. Yeah, I almost wish they. <laughs> Released a movie at a different time. I don't know, so that maybe searching would be doing better.、Um, I mean, it's doing、office. really well though, considering it's a low-budget indie film, right? Yeah, yeah. According to Wikipedia, its box office is fourteen point six million. Yeah, and like, like, what could the budget have been? Like, it's just like, yeah, you just need like one of those things that captures, like the what's whatever's on your computer screen. There wasn't、right. like, in fact, like. The cinematography couldn't be that good. It had to be everything through like webcams and stuff. So if it looked too good, it wouldn't look realistic. Right. No, it's doing well for a low budget indie film, like you said. It's but and during the limited release, people were saying, yeah, yeah, that it's a good result. I don't know what it's looking like since it's released to all theaters, which is few days ago, August thirty first. We'll see. I saw John Cho posted like. Nuts! This is nuts. Like posting crazy rich Asian being like number one and searching number two at box office apparently. So, yeah, it, it is. And you know, I、yeah. wonder if the timing is uh, on on you know intention uh, intentionally coincidence、uh, or coincidence with、uh, there's this real life Chinese American girl that went missing, actually. Oh yeah, the、uh, well, there's like there's like there's like multiple ones. So, I mean, there was the there was like the one was it in Illinois who. Was it killed? Then there was the one in 
Allentown, Pennsylvania, who was more like groomed, but she was found alive later. Um, oh, that's yeah, the six, yeah, like the high school kid, right? Yeah, so there's like there's multiple, multiple ones. Yeah, the one I'm thinking is the one that apparently went off with this much older white guy to Mexico. Who? Yeah, that's the Allentown yeah, yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. The one from Allentown. Yeah, like they've been having and, a relationship and, and everything. Yeah. yeah, and that guy was like a family friend who had known her since she was like seven or eight. Did yeah, I get, so yeah. it was sick, very sick. <laughs> it reminds me of Woody Allen. Yeah, no, what he did was obviously grooming like a lot of pedophiles too, and not to mention he took advantage of the fact yeah. that because her real-life father is in China, so she didn't have that growing up. Oh, he saw I didn't that know that. And took, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. Of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just looking at Box Office Mojo, which is a good site to go to if you want to see the, uh, like the box office grosses and everything. And they don't even have a budget <laughs> for searching, <laughs> so there's no way to know how. Much. That basically means that it costs like nothing to make. It costs like nothing to make, and it's already made like six and a half million dollars in foreign box office. So like right. I know it half. opened in Korea because like John Cho was tweeting yeah. uh, posters from Korea, which is really really funny thing yeah. about about like. When Korea, like American releases in Korea, sometimes they just like transliterate the title, so it's, mm, it's just mm. called like searching, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is it's like the Korean way trying to pronounce searching instead of right. actually uh, translating it in, into a Korean equivalent word. Yeah. Wait, so, like, is, is that what the poster says or what John Cho typed? No, the, the poster it says like searching. That's so weird. Why don't you have <laughs> ac- actual translation anyway? I don't. know. Sometimes guess, they do. Sometimes they don't. Oh no! Yeah. What really sucks is when like a let's say like a korean drama that's actually aimed at korean audiences will actually sometimes do the same thing oh man yeah um i don't know why they do that exactly especially when they can easily just do the korean equivalent but they'll sure. still take the title in english and then just like transliterate it Ugh. i don't Sounds know why like they do that lazy translations what it is i also yeah. saw about yeah. uh yeah, retweeted, and also there was another poster in Japanese. I thought it was pretty cool. So apparently it's released in Korea and Japan now? Uh, mm-hmm. It's also in Indonesia and Thailand. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, the, the box office mojo only has the totals for Indonesia and Thailand, but they have, like, the um, total foreign. So only have the individual by Indonesia and Thailand. So it's mostly, I think, Japan and Korea. I see. I think that's another thing exciting about it. It's not just that, you know, there's Asian-American leads and Asian-American film director, but also a low-budget indie film. It's like, that's always exciting to cheer for that type of success. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. this time last year, there was Gook and Columbus, both of which were excellent movies. And they did quite well, I think, uh, uh, at least by indie standards. Yeah. Um, but I think Searching has taken that to another level in which they can actually, like, register in the top 10. I think they're, like, they they're, like, Fifth, they opened that in the box office, and when you consider the you know movies ahead of them are like, um, what is it, the Crazy Rich Asians, you know, the Meg, and you know Operation Finale, these like very hyped up, big budget movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, they they should be proud of what they've done. Actually, my my brother my brother noted how like oh man, John Cho looks so old now. I actually think he looks almost the same as he did in like American Pie. I don't know what oh, Sam, what no. you think. Did, did, <laughs> Maybe I just have a bad radar for aging. Well, he fits perfectly well for an Asian American father. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone who also has an aged uh, Jennifer Lopez has a new movie coming out. It, it's it's uh, it's an odd little movie because it seems like such a 
like typical kind of like rom-com, New York rom-com from kind of the mid 2000s. Uh, but she's in it and, and her, I also think she has not aged since like the days of like when she released like on the six and when she like broke out as a pop star. I think she almost looks exactly the same. It's a miracle. I don't know how she does it. Still got it. <laughs> I know Puerto Rican friends and other Latino friends will like, listen, if I ever get to date her, I'll drop out of college right now. <laughs> well, wait, you are, know. These, are these men or women? Oh man! Both. Yeah, no, oh, they're okay. they're like I don't care. She's older than me. She's hot as fuck. I would drop out of college just for her. <laughs> she's almost well, fifty years old, and she's she's worth... older than a Rod, yeah. right? Whom she's yeah, dating she's, right now. She's forty nine, and uh, she's worth three hundred and twenty million dollars. So when you're worth three hundred twenty million dollars, I think That's you can like almost do more than everything possible to look good. <laughs> but but she has good genetics too. You know what I mean? So. I mean, like, A-Rod made a ton of money with, like, the Rangers and Yankees, but, I mean, the, like, the steroids... No, he's nowhere. Must have, must, like, the steroids that must have hurt him, and, and I don't know if he had to pay fines, he had, like, court fees, I don't know what, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know what he's worth, Let's, but he's definitely not worth that much. All right, moving on, we have some stuff, other stuff we can talk about. Uh, so, there's been, like, some, uh, I guess like racist clowns who've been, you know, making the making the round on, you know, like the neck, sh- neck shock circuit... There was like some <laughs> some some blonde lady who said some really racist stuff about Asians in Orange County, and uh, she said something like, "These are like the real life crazy uh, rich Asians, and they're like taking over, so fuck them and everything." Yeah, do you guys know anything about this? Yeah, I've seen about yeah. it. I didn't want to read the entire article because I'm like, "Oh, another racist saying typical things about Asians. What's new?" Uh, but she's a lawyer, right? And the the real bombshell was that uh, people are um, saying that uh, one of her her last boyfriend was is Asian, is an Asian guy. Wait, yeah, really? I mean supposedly. Yeah, I mean, supposedly, like somebody supposedly. said it was confirmed on Twitter. I don't know if it has been like you know signed by like the Department of Justice or anything like that. But that's <laughs> the thing. And also, if you look at her rent, she also said something about. Uh, all these like her white male colleagues who married Asian women, those like women were just out there to pretty much fleece them yes. of their earnings. So she she's got some weird complex with with Asians. So if she was yes. indeed yeah. uh, had like an Asian male ex boyfriend and has this uh, hatred of of Asian women who who whom she thinks are kind of like stealing white men. I mean that that's like. Do you think it's jealousy? Like in regards to uh, Asians who have achieved some sort of economic success. I mean, oh, for sure. Like we see this in, you know, white flight, especially in places like California in which uh, even like white liberals who claim to love meritocracy and all that shit. uh, As soon as their school uh, zones get too Asian, then they start Mm. saying, well, you know, like our kids are, you know, they're they're like being ground down by pressure. We're going to we're going to scram to like Colorado uh, or something like that. Um, So we definitely know what happens at the academic level. That's not really uh, up for debate anymore. But I thought this was interesting because. Like the, the things she said about about the social things, because I mean, we've like ta- talked to Asian women, and you know, they talk about the the kind of rivalry they have with with white women, which I think is still a very taboo topic. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, I think is more like Asian women should talk about that. Like a- Asian guys, I mean, we, I mean, I think we can kind of guess what goes on. I mean, it's like it's it's obviously yeah. predictable when you have like various 
racial groups competing for you know social prestige and all that it happens sure. in all genders yeah. all races etc but it's never really allowed to be acknowledged and it's obviously going to happen um when you see what's happening with, with how you know like the social interactions work between like a, uh, asians and whites so you know it's like it, are we going to see more of this uh i i think we are and i'm not surprised by what she said if she did have you know an ex-boyfriend who's asian i i get which as weird as may seem because she said racist things about Asian people. I-, I guess the explanation behind it might be because maybe she also admired the economic success of an Asian guy, but at the same time also like really dislike this Asian woman who's with a white man, presumably for economic or social status. Some sort of complex. <laughs> no, I think it goes back to the competition thing, because it's not like a odd thing to go for someone who's who makes a lot of money so I, I find it weird that you would just go after asian women for being quote-unquote gold diggers so i think it's a competition thing some uh twitter user uh tweeted something like hey like if she did have an asian ex-boyfriend like why aren't you guys like going after him for dating a racist like this and you know i think like that's Kind of a legit point. Like, you know, give him, give him his like, email address. We'll, we'll send like the, the de-chanification army to like, you know, get, make this guy, uh, head on straight. So yeah, I mean, like, I think it's fair if, if, uh, if you have an Asian guy who's dating an open racist and he's just like letting that slide. Yeah. You can't let that slide. Absolutely not. Yeah. But you know, no one knows anything about this guy. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why they broke out might be because she's racist. Maybe not. Um, I would say this though. I was I've been thinking about this whole the jealousy or the resentment toward Asians uh, who have achieved economic success or presuming they have achieved economic success because they're Asians who are still poor and working class um, comes from quite frankly I think you can find white black Hispanic communities because I've heard senti- similar sentiments um, that this woman have made. Uh, the difference is it seems like it's more taboo. Like if you were to point it out in, say, non-Asian POC communities, you know, in urban cities, for example, then say, uh, point out white people. Don't. When white people don't, we'll be like, yeah, fucking racist. You're just jealous, whatever. But you can't say that for other groups, even even if you feel that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's um kind of saw that with like the whole nail salon thing where... You know, you know, like there's accusations that these Asian businesses are like stealing. Uh, you know, they're like coming in and, and basically like they're like entrepreneurial entrepreneurial colonizers, and like the Asian generally, like the Asian American mainstream won't really stand up for them. They'll be just like, uh, yeah, um, you know, like a- like Asians, please don't be racist. But that's pretty much all they'll say. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, this group says called grassroots rising, a grassroots Asian rising of multiple like Asian American organizations, and that's pretty much what it says. This happened because of anti-black racism, and so we're gonna try to educate all uh, these Asian immigrants around the country to not be racist, something like that. Um, it was pretty vague. Uh, and then there was other one uh, statement that was released that was more focused on on class and uh, in terms of analysis of the situation, and that was ignored because it didn't mention racism, it didn't mention anti-black racism, uh, and there were people saying like, "I feel like you're just 
blaming on something else? Why didn't you point out anti-black racism? And then the people make critiques like, yeah, these people come here, just come to make uh, money in our neighborhood, but they don't hire any people of the neighborhood. And um, someone responded, well, people who say that either are clueless or they hate black people because you know what? These Asian nail salon workers get paid below minimum wage. Do you really want black people to be like, like exploited as well? Is is this what you want? Like the labor exploitation, and that is completely ignored. Yeah, which I think is a good uh, like segue into something I want to talk about. Which a couple of days ago, um, in the New York Times, uh, Russ Douthat of, of all people wrote this mm. article called "The Asian American Age," um, and I mean, I I found it because like Teen retweeted it. And I mean, the gist of the article is that Ross Douthat is saying that uh, like Asian Americans are beginning to exert more of of our influence, mm-hmm. and we don't fall <laughs> so neatly into the you know traditional Democrat versus Republican divide. Um, and he said, you know, because obviously like the Republicans are a bunch of white revanchists, we obviously don't fall in there. But the Democrats generally, their concept of like racial justice often doesn't include us, so we're kind of like you know trying to find where we belong and and his uh like i thought it was a little contrived he said that uh because like asian americans aren't neatly fitting in will like be Mm. the force that drags the like asian americans or the democratic party back to like the 1990s style um dlc type of uh you know liberalism which i didn't think made a lot of sense considering that he he said that like that was in opposition to the kind of more like Sanders or Cosby Cortez type of uh, new leftism. But right. if you see a lot of Asian Americans complain about things at like college admissions, they, most of them will acknowledge class because I think, uh, I mean, there are like studies out that show that you know Asian um, income disparity is is very very high. They say like the highest among or the most dramatic in in racial groups. Right. Yeah. So Asians are very class conscious, and I think that the new type of this like socialist inflected uh, democratic surge, Mm -hmm. um, it does kind of prioritize class over the identity politics, which I've always kind of associated with, uh, you know, Clinton and then Obama. So I I don't really know where Douthat is is getting at. But but Teen, I think, had a really good point in which he said, he was like, like this article is like one of the only ones about Asian Americans that actually makes sense. And it's not because right-wingers get us more. No, right-wingers are, you know, underhanded. They're like, they're a bunch of snakes. Don't trust these guys. But they at least see some kind of, they at least like get us at some level, even if it's only for their own benefit. Whereas like right. liberals, especially like white liberals, they don't give a damn. They just like, yeah, we're pretty much like non-existent to them. Yeah, yeah. I think you're, I think you're right, Oxford and, and Teen had a, a great point there. Yeah, I, I was sort of nodding along begrudgingly to the article because I think uh, Datha did sort of describe um, the left and the right uh, and of Asia, Asian America, you know, in a basic but sort of correct way. But then, he, it, as you said, his conclusion was, oh, you know, that just means that we're going to go center uh, in the Democratic Party was sort of like, uh, how did you get that from what you just wrote? <laughs> yeah, there, there was no real roadmap. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, I think it was, and, and he just was like, this is what he wants to say. So he <laughs> sort of put a lot of layers on top of that to make that conclusion. You're right. I mean, we, obviously, we can't we can't trust the right, um, 
And I was going to say something else, but Sam, you wanted to jump in. So yeah. please say something so I, I can think. think. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was on to something, but he lost me when he says, yeah, Asian American wants the 1990s Clinton style. I thought that was kind of odd. Um, it, it is certainly true that I think a lot of Asian American feeling like neither party, Democratic or Republican Party, represent them. Yeah. A feeling that neither the left, right, you know, uh, binary really fits them whatsoever, or of being, or is so essential being it is it's a direction uh, that's something to talk about, I suppose. But uh, there is, uh, I don't know, if, you know, everyone is noticing there's this move, so-called movement going on called Walk Away, hashtag Walk Away. Mm-hmm. So someone shared it among one of us, and this uh, this guy, this guy who's an Asian American guy, saying, "I'm walking away." Oh, that guy. Left, yeah, the Democrat. The SJW, all of that stuff. And everything he says are, I mean, they're not new. He's not the only one who feels that way and whatever. It's fine. He made that decision. What's interesting is after I finished watching that video, uh, it YouTube shows me all the other videos of this hashtag walkaway videos that feature a black American saying, yeah, I'm fucking done with Democrat Party. Oh, yeah, no, screw the left or, or whatever, Republican or... Let's stop blaming white people for everything. All right, let's some, some fix some shit our own. Like things like that. I know some more, especially black men, less black women. Although there were some of that as well. I didn't. YouTube didn't show me any other Asian American saying what he said. I, I don't know. Mm. Is that is that reflect the actual demographic of this walkaway video users, or is that just somehow YouTube made algorithm in that way? But I thought that was interesting that we see increasingly more and more. Uh, minorities, especially black people, saying I'm 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 done with the left. On yeah, YouTube. I saw I saw that video. Uh, this guy Zach King. Oh, that guy's such a fucking dumbass. I mean, I, I I watched a video and his point was like one of his videos was basically like, uh, you know, I, I used to be like a leftist SDGW, but then I look around the world and if you just work hard, you can make it, right? And let's stop <laughs> blaming white people for everything. And that that was the extent of his argument. There was like nothing to support it, no facts, no nope. studies, not even like like thought experiments and. Um, I, I think that's one thing that encouraged me was I was like kind of like in the Asian males, uh, some of the subreddits, and I think someone uh, linked one of his videos, and everyone just like, ah, oh, fuck this chan, you know, like, because I think the video was him trying to uh, say that white privilege didn't exist, and I think for there was yeah, there was the one thing, of them. I didn't. Watch the thing that, that really I think holds Asian guys in check from falling there is that from from a very personal. Uh, experience we know that white privilege exists especially like white male privilege and for another asian guy to say oh no it doesn't exist it's just like it's like no dude like <laughs> i don't know what you're on but so, so i think that yeah. is at least the barrier holding us uh from uh falling into that kind of stuff so well, so but yeah. you know, we got we got our work to provide that alternative because you know the whole like democrat versus republican divide is not only just a white divide but it's also doesn't make a lot of sense if you look at the platforms that both sides have like what on earth connects like the Koch brothers to uh you know like the the, the like you know religious fanatics in the south it, it's a very cobbled together uh coalition yeah there is based, they actually fight ba- a lot based, yeah based on just like happenstance of history so for for asian americans to buy into that and, and say like oh if you're not buying into the democrats and you must be a republican or vice versa right. it doesn't work for us because right. like for us I mean, for white people, it doesn't work. It's definitely not going to work for us. So we have to find out where our fault line is. And I've always maintained the, the real thing that divides Asian Americans is proximity to whiteness, I think. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think, like, 
I mean, class is basically social status, right? I mean, class, a lot of it is de- determined by money, um, education, etc. Um, mm-hmm. But I think when you take into account Asian Americans or any other minority group, race comes into play in a way that do- it doesn't for, for white people. And I think generally for Asian Americans, like, like the ri- like very rich Asian Americans still aren't that wealthy. You know, we're not like, there's no like Asian Koch brother or or, you know, George Soros or, or that type. You, even, like, wealthy Asian not, Americans are basically yeah. still salary men, right? You, right, you not in America. Income, yeah, not in but America. But you're still working yeah. for your white boss, and that white boss can right. fire you at any time, and it ruins your, your life. So I think for Asian Americans, in our class consciousness, race right. has, a, has a big impact on it, and our proximity to it is very determinative of our kind of like political stance, which is why things like WMF are so like incendiary and central to Asian American discussions. Well, yeah, I was going to, I was going to bring up class for why that, that Zach was it Zach Hing or something. Yeah. Why he might, he, why, why he might have those, some of those views. And, and even though he's not really like the 1%, he might be like the 10%. And, uh, there was a great article, uh, in the Atlantic, um, about sort of that 10% or like the new American aristocracy, the people oh, yeah, who are I read sort that of article, yeah. yeah, the people who are sort of looking up at the 1%, but like, you know, they they have the the 90% that they can look down on. And I think, you know, there are probably a lot more Asian Americans who are in that 10% than there are in the, you know, in the 1%, but they're certainly not uh in like the the bottom 50%, even though there is a large wealth gap. I think the wealthiest Asian Americans are probably in that top 10%. So I think someone like Zach, I don't obviously know his background, but I can make an educated guess that he's probably, you know, high, upper middle class to to fairly wealthy. And I think that sort of class angle well, could, explains to me, at least, his perception that there isn't, uh, there, there's no such thing as white privilege because in his universe, um, he feels, oh, you know, I, I'm just as rich as these other guys and, you know, I just do as well. And he just hasn't. And, and you know he's a dumbass, but you know I, <laughs> I do. Want I, I don't think I don't think anyone's going to really follow him. I don't think, as you're saying, like people posted it in the Reddit's and like they don't look at him and be like, yeah, I'm going to follow that guy. That just doesn't. Not Asian people, but there are, there are yeah. a large white following uh, who despise. Yeah, could be their token the minority, right? Who yeah. hate SJW, uh, you know, are very happy to see another minority saying this. So it makes me wonder, does he really believe what he believes? Or he's doing it because he you know he can monetize and make money off it. Oh, it's like Candace Owen, right? Candace Owen, like, after she got, after Trump was elected, she tried to uh, create a website that was, like, anti-Trump. And Wait, really? Didn't, yeah, yeah. So she she's like uh, a mercenary, ideological mercenary. 100%. And, <laughs> um, and she it didn't go anywhere. And then I think she f- figured out somehow by maybe looking at like David Rubin and other p- people who are also, um, uh, uh, who are also Democrats that became, uh, uh, Republicans or, you know, uh, conservatives. She saw that there was a market. So she's not an ideological warrior at all. She's a pocketbook warrior. She's trying to make money. <laughs> so yeah, if you know, you're, if you're a young person, like ambitious, uh, you know, ruthless, completely you know amoral not immoral amoral yeah completely without principle the fast track to at least a certain level of success is you got to go right right the 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 left is too crowded it's um it's it's too hard for you but you you go to you go to the right you can pretty much say the the dumbest shit and and you'll still get like a million views on youtube you know that's that's why i've always hated like 
I remember when like Sarah Palin came out with, with like the death panels and things like that, and Democrats who were <laughs> were crying in the pews saying like, "How do they do it? How are they so smart?" Like, no, they're not smart. They can say whatever they want, <laughs> yeah. and that crowd will lap it up. Whereas, uh, you know, the, the liberals and the left, they're, they're so nitpicky. You gotta be like perfect. Um, just today I saw somebody. Uh, on Twitter, like Bernie Sanders had co-sponsored some bill that was like saying, "Oh, the latest like Venezuela election was a sham." They're like, "God, mm. you know, fuck Bernie. I'm done with him. He's like another imperialist." Like, God damn it. <laughs> so, so basically, the right winning because they're more united as they have lower standards. Well, they have their standards are yeah, so low. definitely, <laughs> yeah. And people, people have tried to make arguments to me that like, oh, we should just do the exact same thing on the left or the progressives that uh, the right does. Like, you know, say the same things, but I guess more progressive version of it or have the same sort of talking heads that they do. I'm like it, it the, the type of person and personality on one side or the other, they're not the same. So the same yeah. media tactics aren't going to work. And I know that's frustrating, that's but that's just the way it is. So, like, you can't just be like an Alex Jones and rent your head off and, and, and have that. You can't do that and be successful uh, on the left. Um, not to the same extent, anyway. You know. Is his face permanently red? I don't even know you can like actually call him a white person. I feel like he's like permanently red. He's uh, Sam. Sam, I want to ask you a question because uh, going back to that uh, Douthat article, uh, the Asian American Age. There's a part where he says it, it's becoming more increasingly clear that the type of Asian Americans who will pretty much uncritically defend affirmative action as is are. It, it's less about principle and more about uh, kind of like social belonging. Which I think we've all known for a while, but I think this is yeah. becoming more and more apparent. So I think uh, for someone like you, who you know, um, you're, you're more, you come more from like the working class. Like, what's your perspective on that? Especially when you see these kind of like upper middle class Asians who, you know, they all go to like, you know, fucking you know, seventy thousand dollar a year uh, colleges, and they start talking down to you know the the like the Chinatown Asians and and, and people like that. Well, what are your reactions? Uh, well, well, you know, when he said that, I, I got this feeling saying like, yeah, Asian used to be like really self-centered, only care about self-interest and uh, the one that, you know, who are middle class care about their middle class self-interest. But now, now they're becoming more good liberals. That's the message I got out of this guy. Like, Pat, Pat, you're being a good liberals, like us white liberals. Yeah. You know, the, the old model minority used to be used to be a good Republican. You know, you and if you read the, the Sympathizer, the novel, there's like a part where some like shady politician, Republican politician, is like trying to win his district. So he's like sucking up to a Vietnamese crowd. And they're like, yeah, like we're the ones who, you know, fought the communists. Those Democrats, they wanted to like, you know, beatify uh, Ho Chi Minh or some shit. And like all the Vietnamese love this this guy because he's like, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they think he's sticking up for them. That used to be the old model minority, but it seems like the new model minority is you just pretty much play attack dog or lap dog for the white liberals. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, speaking of affirmative action, I do wonder, like, since there's, you know, there's a case file about discrimination against Asian American, our personality isn't, I don't know, as good. <laughs> uh, I, I, how much did it take class into account? Is it, or is it just on race? Is it just for the sake of racial diversity quota? And once they check it off, they feel they're good to go. Uh, what's your question exactly? Oh, you mean in, in like regards the to affirmative action? You know, do they look at like race more than class? Because that's kind of well, my concern. Um, well, I'm, every school I'm has sure a different policy. 
I'm pretty sure yeah. they do. Yeah. Uh, just because, like, I think race is more visually uh, just like, stands out. Like, you, sure. yeah, you can't have, like, everybody, like, half your class making less, you know, from a household that makes less than, like, $45,000. But, you know, you dress them up in, you know, a nice polo shirt. They, they just look like some uh, trust fund frat boy, right? So, uh, you know, for the brochure, you know, that, that's what it really comes mm-hmm. down to, right? You, you want the nice, mm-hmm. diverse brochure. Well, yeah, yeah and you, can't, you can't see a socioeconomic status from a photo if they're all dressed the, the right way. Right. Well, I guess you can dress them up like coal miners from West Virginia, but that might be <laughs> not, <laughs> not PC. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, affirmative action isn't like a blanket policy, right? It's it's just a concept. Um, it's a uh, concept, think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that concept. You fuck over people for centuries. You got to do something to, yeah, to make absolutely. it up. You can't just say like, all right, we got rid of the worst laws on the books. Now everybody... Right, now it's all going to be fair. Equal. Obviously, you can't right. do that shit. But I'm also saying you can't have a policy where you just say Asian Americans have bad personalities. Nobody likes them. They can't be leaders. Right, exactly. And, sorry, you can't do that. You cannot let that slide. Right. And so, for Asian American, our supposed activists and representatives, for them to not even stand up to that is a fucking disgrace. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. I mean, and, and it's funny to me that like, uh, like Ross Douthat, even this article, he talks about how... Um, and he makes, he makes the comparison to, to Jews, like I, I, you know, like that I make a lot and, and other people have, have, uh, um, have, uh, observed as well. And like, you know, the J- Jews in America didn't just lie down and let themselves be discriminated against. So I find it funny or I find it very frustrating that, um, our Asian American activists are like, oh no, 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 we can't, you know, we can't fight for our rights because it might hurt other people. And I think it's also a misunderstanding of the case and the concept of affirmative action and, and all that. And we'll talk about that more, I think, in another podcast. But, you know, we're, this, law, this lawsuit is going after Harvard's specific policy. That's it. So it's not going, it's not a Supreme Court, it's not a, a case against affirmative action as a whole. Uh, but I think people forget that. Yeah. Asian American activists, the mainstream ones. Uh, seem to be afraid to center themselves, like in terms of activism, to center Asian American activism and feeling the need to mm-hmm. take a take a seat back for other people. We're literally the only group that does that. What other group? Yeah, does I mean, that? I I get why they do that though. It's like the the money's not there, the the support is not there, and you know, for a lot of these people, this is their job, right? It's their livelihood. I mean, you see this if you go to like school, like. You look at the uh, like affinity groups, um, uh, and, and you know like the, like the the Asian ones are usually the least funded, even though you know Asians are supposedly very wealthy. Like nobody gives back to the communities because people don't really feel that sense of uh, togetherness. If anything, they might feel it for their ethnicity, specific ethnicity. But a lot of people either just don't care or they you know identify more with white people and they don't feel comfortable being too Asian. So. I mean, like, I don't, you know, like, I, it's not like I like these activists, but I understand the pressure they're under in that you go too Asian and then you, you're not going to have any support. Right. Once you do that, you're, uh, you might be ostracized from literally everyone else. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So moving on, um, you got, you guys reading any books lately? Let's, let's get a little literary and, <laughs> and, uh, high class. Not, we can talk but about I would love to hear your commentary on those books. Uh, Mark, you, you read anything lately? Uh, I'm not, but, uh, there are a couple that I do want to read. Uh, I'm not a huge poetry fan, but, um, there's a, a, a memoir in poems by, um, 
a female a, a female adoptee, uh, Asian adoptee like myself, Korean, uh, called Not My White Savior. Her name is Julian yeah, Ju- Lee. Ju- yeah, I follow her on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have I bought that, and I'm 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 meaning to to read that. And I also um, I also have the, a book that we've mentioned a lot by uh, Matthew Celesis, another adoptee author, A um, Hundred Year Flood that I me- I've been meaning to read. So those are the two books on my on top of my stack of uh, <laughs> of books. Yeah. Also, um, so JY has a friend. She's actually I think a fairly famous young Asian American poet. Her name's Emily Yoon. So, hmm. uh, Mark, if you are into poetry, you should check her out as well. I will check it out. I am not the biggest uh, poetry fan, but maybe this will change I'm my impressed mind. you have any interest at all because I don't. <laughs> well, to be honest, it's because it's um, she's a uh, Julaine is uh, uh, an adoptee, and I, you know, I think it's important. We we're talking about community. I think it's important that you know we we support each other, and you know, the adoptee community is much, much smaller uh, than the Asian American one. So, you know, if I can spend some money, you know, it's not too much, uh, I'll do that. I just read this book. Uh, it's called My Year of Rest and Relaxation by this author named Otessa Moshfeg. I picked this up because I have a friend. She's uh, she's a, a white female writer, and she recommended it to me. She said apparently, like, right now, and kind of, like, among, like, literary geeks in, in, like, New York City, this is, like, the it book of the summer. Mm. So everyone was reading it. I just finished it last night. It's, it's, not, it's not really my cup of tea. It's, like, it centers around this very, like, privileged uh, white girl who's, like, like, looks like a model, has, like, a trust fund. And for some reason, she, like, decides to spend a whole year taking, uh, like, prescription drugs to, like, stay asleep for most of the day. And she's, like, has these, like, three-day blackouts in which she doesn't remember what she did, so she has to kind of piece together what happened uh, because you know because she doesn't like she went out and bought stuff, but she doesn't remember doing it. And I'll just read this passage though, because like um, you know how like I wrote that that article, uh, does Lena Dunham have yellow fever? And my theory was kind of like for kind of like young white women, especially like older millennial women uh, coming up, they've kind of come to see like Asian women as competition, which also relates to that, uh, the racist lawyer we talked about earlier. So I'll just read this passage, which caught my eye. Um, so the, the main character is talking about this guy she's seeing, uh, who's like a total jerk, but for whatever reason, she's like drawn to him. But Trevor was six foot three. He was clean and fit and confident. I choose him a million times over the hipster nerds I see around town and at the gallery. In college, the art history department had been rife with that specific brand of young male an alternative to the mainstream frat boys and pre-med straight and narrow guys. These scholarly, charmless, intellectual brats dominated the more creative departments. As an art history major, I couldn't escape them. Dudes reading Nietzsche on the subway, reading Proust, reading David Foster Wallace, jotting down their brilliant thoughts into their black moleskin uh, pocket notebook. Beer bellies and skinny legs, zip-up hoodies, navy blue peacoats or army green parkas, New Balance sneakers, knit hats, canvas tote bags, small hands, hairy knuckles, maybe a deer head tattooed across a flabby bicep. They rolled their own cigarettes, didn't brush their teeth enough, spent $100 a week on coffee. They would come into Ducat, the gallery I ended up working at, with their younger, usually Asian, girlfriends. An Asian girlfriend means the guy has a small dick, Reva once said. I'd heard them talk shit about the art. They lamented the success of others. They thought that they wanted to be adored, to be influential, celebrated for their genius, that they deserved to be worshipped. And blah, blah, blah. It goes on like that. So I, I read that and it's like, okay, another exhibit to 
support my my theory. Because <laughs> like the author is fairly young. I think she's like in her late 30s. Mm. So she's like right on the cusp of older millennial. And it's like a highbrow cat person. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like in that whole I think genre yeah. of very intimate. Plotless sounds pejorative. I, I I don't have anything against stories without plots. I like generally like those stories, uh, but I, I, it seems to yeah fit in, into that mold about kind of like what it means to be, uh, you know, like a young woman in in a city these days, especially if you're a white woman. All right, we got we got like ten fifteen minutes. We can just ch- talk about anything. So let's go at it. Uh, well, this one concern I have and I've been having. Uh, what is the nail salon incident or um, the college emissions or or anything that when it comes to the relationship between Asian American and social economic class, I'm the people that end up receiving the hatred, uh, the resentment toward Asian American success aren't actually middle class Asian American, but Asian exactly. American that, poor, that's why they're class. Mm. That's why it's so cowardly of them to go before like they, they have their like f- goddamn speaking gigs or whatever, and they'll like pretty much lay every other Asian American on the like on the block, you know, not like the, the executioner's block, saying we're so terrible, anti-blackness is like embedded in our culture and stuff. Mm. But they're never going to be the ones who have to deal with it, because by saying that, what they're actually saying is, oh, we're not we're not these like smelly ugly, poor, raggedy Asians who can't assimilate like I can. And yeah. it's that's like if you're willing to actually go out there yourself and take some of that, I don't know, penance or whatever they're offering up, then yeah, sure, that that's, you know, that's at least you're putting your money where your mouth is. But for them to do that and have everyone else pay the consequences is just ugh. yeah. And 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 that that hatred or uh, resentment comes out in multiple forms. It comes out in hate crimes, uh, you know, robbery when, you know, there are criminals who target Asian people. It's actually usually not middle class Asians. It's usually working class Asian who are just fucking delivery, like, yeah. take out Chinese food. The regular dude, you know, who doesn't have much it's the, money. It's the delivery person who gets attacked. It's not the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, Asian American studies major in like Princeton. Yeah. I mean, they'll pay lip service. But it's like, it's it's not, they're not really, yeah. And I, I think that's, I mean, like, planning is one years old, and we've been talking about what we need to do more of. And I think it's, how do we include all the, like, neglected Asian Americans? And, you know, everybody knows the majority of the, uh, Asian Americans are foreign-born, a uh, very high limited English proficiency rate, which means most of us aren't good at English. Um, it's just like the, you know, us college-educated, second-generation people who are, you know, mm-hmm. cu- lingually and, and culturally fluent in, in basically whiteness. But, you know, majority, especially the older, they're not. And how do we incorporate them into some kind of political identity, especially when you have people like Edward Bloom or, you know, like like the, the Justice Department, you know, just took up that Harvard case. They're obviously right. not looking out for our best interests. Right, right. But if they're the only ones out there, it's not unreasonable if you're like... A neglected, you know, Asian American who feels like everyone's out against you, even your own members of your own community who look down on you. It's not yeah. unreasonable for them to think that that's their only way path forward, and we can't let that happen. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of parallels there with, uh, with what's happened with uh, white Democrats and you know the the uh, 
lower class white Americans and how those lower class white Americans have gone to the right, to the Republicans, because they're the only ones that actually pay even lip service to saying that they care about them. Yeah. Um, when we know they don't. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a big danger. I think it's a big danger. Right. Like, and it makes, and always makes me think like, I think poor Asians are the most invisible minority that's easily made into a joke. Let me give an example. So I saw there was an incident where I think an Asian guy was saying, complaining the racism. This white woman would say, like, have a nice trip back to China. Um, and one of the, you know, the people oh, would be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, well, like, yeah, she's racism. People like, wait, do we know the context of conversation? And then the people would just dismiss it and i saw uh, uh this guy a black guy that says like yeah um you know what i'll feel more sympathy for him if it weren't for asians are like so racist or things so much better than other races or something like that you know it's not our first time to see comments like that or dismissive comments from not just white people even non-asian people so you know it's not neil but i got curious and click on his profile and one of the video he posted was these two cantonese speaking uh old ladies who are fighting for trash. Yes. And I get why it seems funny. I mean, I'll be honest. My first second, of you know, as a reaction was, oh, yeah, this is kind of amusing. It's kind of funny. But my second second was like, actually, this is not funny. This is poverty playing out. Like, that people, some people feel the need to fucking fight for trash. Yeah, that's like, that's like, you know, mm. the, those like, horrible things where they make homeless people fight for food that's like, that's oh, like the same yeah. thing yeah no so oh. that was happening and it was this white guy that was trying to be like hey chill ladies let's not fight over it the original uh uh uploader of that video um said something about like yeah look at this uh mingling mingling whatever and then uh the guy who was being very dismissive of anti-asian racism that reposted a video said oh yeah this is what wu-tang versus shaolin or whatever and I'm not saying I'm angry over those words. It's just another example of double standards hypocrisy. Because if there was two black women that were fighting for trash, and people make fun of it, like, yeah, look at these, like, I don't know, Shanika, whatever. That would be called, like, anti-black racism. And I would fucking agree. It's racist. It's also classist. Like, you think it's fucking funny that poor people are fighting over trash? But, you know, when it comes to Asian, again, it's a free game. Free game for all. And, of course, Asians were laughing at that shit. Everyone were laughing at it. They were, You know, if I were to be critical about it and point it out, which I would, uh, I should, should post that. And people were like, oh, get a sense of humor. like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the big blind spots of kind of like the white liberalism that has been, you know, culturally dominant, i say, for the last two decades is that it's very clear which groups are protected and which groups are considered acceptable collateral damage. And as people become more aware of that, the whole ideology loses credibility because then they realize you have no principle. You're just, you're just doing, you're, the only time you really like, respect these groups is if they're a threat to you. So you want to neutralize them. So you give them out a few sweeteners to pacify them. Um, and that's like, that's not admirable at all. That's just self-preservation. That's not real principle. And the way they pass themselves off as progressive or, uh, you know, liberal or open-minded turns out to be a whole crock of shit. Yeah, we're like a little over an hour. So a- any final thoughts? Go watch Searching. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. 
I'm just drenched in sweat right now. I just took a shower because I, I went to the gym for the first time in a, in a long while. I, I woke up early and I got some writing done. Uh, but the bad thing about being so productive in the morning is that now you have no excuse to not go to the gym. <laughs> so I was like trying to like come up with that. Maybe it's Labor Day and they're closed. Uh, but no, they're not closed no, until they're 8 o'clock. <laughs> so, so I went and I was, I, was, uh, I was happy I went. Good for worked you. Up a, Good for worked you. up a big sweat on the That's cycle. Nice. Took a shower right before this. But now I got, I got to take another one because as I said, I have to t- turn off the air conditioner. Productive, healthy it's like, it's like do the right thing in here. It's like... <laughs> yeah, I might have. We all need to get on that productive, healthy lifestyle. <laughs> oh, I also wanted to say that on, like, I guess Saturday morning was the Asian Games final, the, the soccer final. That's right. Which Korea beat Japan. Uh, a lot of uh, good players on the Korean team now have military exemption. And had they lost that game, I'd been in such a foul mood. I might have not even done this podcast. I would have just been so depressed <laughs> and angry. But they won... Uh, what was really funny is like the Asian games is really not important. Even Asians don't care about it. It was in like Indonesia, I believe. So it was like really far away in an odd time zone. But because uh, Son Heung-min was playing, uh, you know, the, the Tottenham Hotspur superstar, uh, you could go on like the soccer subreddit on Reddit and everybody was paying attention to this otherwise meaningless game. <laughs> I thought that was really funny and, and everyone was happy for him, even like Arsenal fans, Manchester United fans, Liverpool fans, all these fans that, you know, see Tottenham as a hated rival, you know, because like everybody loves Son, you know, he's like a good player, you know, happy guy, charismatic guy. So that made my weekend. Nice. Yeah, I was happy too. All right. Uh, I'll, I think that's good. So great talking right. to you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Escape from Plan A podcast. I was joined today by Mark and Sam. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe to us either on iTunes, um, SoundCloud, or Google Play. And if you really like us, please give us five stars and even leave a review that helps us somehow. Um, I I know that for sure. And if you like our articles, uh, go to planamag.com. So until next time, see you, everyone. Baby girl, I'm gonna do up so you know I'll be running away Oh babe, been joking, I need to think I care